You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Well, what we were talking about is, is that God really did, if you think about what God did to make Christmas, what he had to move, it's really, from a worldly perspective, unbelievable. So I want us this morning to see five things this Christmas Eve, five things that God moved to give us Christmas, all right? First, God moved an earthly king to take a sweeping census. In Luke chapter two, verse one through three, you heard it uh, as, they, as Luke is so uh, well read it. In, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, all right? that all the world should be registered. It was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, this, this actually started a rotation every 14 years of, of registration. Now, Caesar Augustus, his actual name was Gaius Octavius, and he was heir to Julius Caesar. Caesar actually reigned as the first emperor of Rome from uh, 27 BC to 1480, but at his, uh, it was his final fight and victory over arch enemy Antony that won him the emperor title. Then a couple of years later, they gave him uh, almost like a godlike status by awarding him the title of Augustus, which means exalted one. And that's just kind of historical fact. What's not gonna be found in historical record, outside of scripture maybe, uh, is that Caesar's victory over Antony was just one small piece of the puzzle, God's providential puzzle, that would give us Christmas. If you think about it, every victory of Caesar Augustus was one step closer to Christmas. If we go back 2,800 years uh, to, to April 21st, 753 BC, historians tell us that Romulus founded Rome. But by the time of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, Rome had expanded exponentially. I wanna show you a map of this. This is a map of all the territories that were under Roman rule at the, at the height of uh, Roman power. Now, conservative opinion says at the height of Roman power, the, there were around 65 million people, and assuming, based on historical evidence, there were around 300 million people in the world, it meant that the Roman population comprised about 21% of the world's total. However, uh, other estimates have added far more people because they believe there were other foreigners living within the borders of the empire, perhaps as much as doubling that figure, and meaning that it could have been 130 million people and it could have been 40% of the world's population. Now, just so you can get that in your perspective, millions doesn't seem like a lot today, and we have over a million people in the greater Memphis area. But if we were to apply that to our 8.1 billion people that we have in the world right now estimated, then the Roman Empire would have included as many as 3.24 billion people. And just to put that in perspective, the US, we're, we're one of the top three global powers, right? But did you know we only represent 4% of the world's population? And Rome uh, could have possessed 20 to 40%, 10 times the population of America. So we're talking about profound domination and control of the global landscape. So why is that such a big deal? Why does the vastness of the Roman Empire matter to us at Christmas? Because God put on the heart of Caesar Augustus to start a census that would set in motion a series of incredible events that would lead us and an unknown couple, 
<laughs> Joseph and Mary, uh, from humble origin to the little town of Bethlehem. So the next time we sing, oh little town of Bethlehem, <laughs> you think about, you remember when you sing that song, what God had to move. He moved one of, the earth, one of earth's mightiest rulers to take a census that's equivalent to several billion people today, just to move two lowly people to one lowly stable. Now listen, church. If God moved kings to give us Christmas, what do you think he'd move for you? Number two, God moved the earth to fulfill one single prophecy. In all that I just described to you, God did it to fulfill one prophecy. Now, there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus. Y'all have heard me talk about this before. There's over 300. Some people say 330. Some people say there's a prophecy. There's as many prophecies about Jesus as there are days in a year. All right? But if we just take eight of those, all right? I'm really scared that this is just too heavy. Uh, sorry. My neighbor gave me, Skylar gave me this. It's just too heavy. I'm afraid it's going to fall off. All right, chiefs are just too much. All right. <laughs> Tomorrow at noon. All right. Uh, if we were to look at all 300 prophecies, we, don't, we really don't have time. I just want to say the, the statistics on eight. The odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of the 300 plus prophecies. Let's just say the time of his birth, Daniel 8 and 9, uh, that he would be born in Bethlehem. We'll look at that in a minute more, Micah 5 verse 2. That he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. Zechariah eleven twelve that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 22, 7, that he would be mocked. John three fourteen that he'd be crucified. Psalm 22, 16, that he would be pierced. And Isaiah 53, 9, that he would die with the wicked, but would be buried with the rich. Now, any of y'all can look up a simple search of all these prophecies and read them yourself. They're, they're amazing, right? One for almost every day of the year, literally. But what are the odds of just eight of those coming true? I'll tell you, they're not one in more than 10 million. They're not one in more than 10 billion. They're not one in more than 10 trillion, quadrillion. They're not one in 10 quintillion or sextillion or septillion, the, the odds of just eight of those 300 prophecies coming true are one in 10 octillion. That's one in 10 with 27 more zeros, all right? MacArthur said somebody did some mathematical calculation and said for all 330 to happen by chance uh, to, through one man would be one in 84 with 100 zeros chance. It's not possible. There's a great illustration of the chance of those eight prophecies coming true. You may have heard it before. It's about the silver dollars. If we were to take silver dollars and we were to line them up all over the state of Texas, which you could just about fit the whole SEC into, into Texas, all right? And so if we were to line up and cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, there would not be one inch of all of Texas that didn't have a silver, silver dollar on it. And then if you were to stack those silver dollars two feet tall, <laughs> and then you were to send a guy out all over the state of Texas to dig down into that two feet thick uh, of, of silver dollars and mark one of those silver dollars, put it back in the stack, cover it back over, and then go blindfold a different person who didn't see where he put it, <laughs> blindfold him, send him out into the state of Texas, and let him try to find that one marked silver dollar. It, you get, that's the same statistical probability of one person meeting all of these prophecies. But I'm not talking about 300 prophecies, and I'm not talking about eight prophecies. 
I want to just talk about one single solitary prophecy. What did God do to fulfill just one of the 330 plus prophecies? Micah 5.2, we've already mentioned it. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now, 1 Samuel 17.12 says David uh, was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. So let me just remind you that small places produce some pretty great people. Amen. Um, my father-in-law's in-house today, Tommy Vinson, who I quote a lot. Tommy, where are you from? I'm from Belden, Mississippi. Belden, Mississippi. And in my life, he's one of the greatest men of God in my life. Greatest influences from Belden, Mississippi. Raise your hand if you know where Belden, Mississippi. Yeah, I see the Mississippi folks. Me, I know. I know. <laughs> Good. Little places, humble, humble origins can produce some great people. Now, when Micah 5 verse 2 says, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days, it doesn't mean Jesus was simply old and ancient. It means his being revealed was from of old, from ancient of days. God revealed it to Micah some 800 years before Jesus was born. Did it again to Isaiah 750 years before Christ was born. So just one of these prophecies told eight centuries before it would happen took God moving the heart of a world ruler to take a census of probably, possibly 40% of the entire world just to move Joseph and Mary 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. If God defies mathematical odds to give us Christmas, let me just ask you, what odds will he defy for you? Number three, God moved the stars of heaven to guide the wise men to him. Now, I hate to cast doubt on our beautiful nativity scenes, right? But the primary reason we believe there's three wise men is because there were three gifts. Matthew 2.11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So three gifts assumed three wise men. There could have been more. It also says that they entered the house, not the, the stable. So th this was probably some months or even a year or two after Jesus' birth. But they came from the east, probably Persia. Persia or, or modern day Iran. So they would have traveled over 800 plus miles to see Christ. And these wise men would have likely been familiar with Daniel's prophecies uh, told of the coming prince. Daniel 9 verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my plea before the, the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel We've heard of him, whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I've now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So the wise men... Quoting Micah 5.2, interpreted to Herod that this was a reference to Jesus the Messiah. But they still had no idea of the precise location, right? They needed guidance. They need specific direction. And that's where this star comes in. Matthew 2 verse 1. 
now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who, was, who has been born uh, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. By the way, Bethlehem's star is his. <laughs> he made it. It's Jesus' own star. And, and, and by the way, Matthew 2, 9 says, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that, had, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great Joy. Now, maybe they knew to look for it. Maybe they had uh, read Balaam's prophecy back in Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, Balaam was actually from the town of Persia, so it's possible. What's not possible, or probably not possible, is that some planetary astrological anomaly occurred and caused the star. Now, I know there's tons of shows out there and books written about this, and uh, people love to pontificate. Uh, there are a ton of, of speculations, and maybe it's just people love to hypothesize, but I want to say two things about this, this star. First, Sound scholars, and I myself believe that the, the way the star moved and settled over one place nullifies most of all of those theories. All right, you don't follow a star and get to a specific house, right? You can do that with Google, but you're not going to do that with a star. You can have, you can, there's some wisdom to be found in, in, in studying the stars, but um, I don't think you're going to move to a specific location. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, John Piper had a, a great word about the significance of this star, and I want to read this to you. There are numerous efforts to explain it in terms of conjunctions of planets or comets or supernovas or miraculous lights. We just don't know. And I want to exhort you to not become preoccupied, not to become fixated on theories that are only tentative in the end and have very little spiritual significance. I risk a generalization to warn you. So these are general words from Piper. People who are exercised and preoccupied with such things as how the star worked and how the Red Sea split and how the manna fell and how Jonah survived the fish and how the moon turns to blood are generally people who have what I call a mentality for the marginal. You don't see in them a deep cherishing of the great central truths of the gospel, the holiness of God, the ugliness of sin, the helplessness of man, the death of Christ, justification by faith alone, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the glory of Christ's return, the final judgment. They always seem to be taking you down a sidetrack with some new article or book that they're all excited about dealing with something marginal. There's little rejoicing over the great central realities. But what is plain concerning this matter of the star is that it's doing something that it cannot do on its own. It's guiding Magi to the Son of God to worship Him. There's only one person in biblical thinking that can be behind that intentionality in the stars. God Himself. So the lesson is plain. God is guiding foreigners to Christ to worship Him. And He's doing it by exerting global, probably even universal influence and power to get it done. That's our God. If God can make a star to guide men better than Google Maps to give us Christmas, can God not guide you? Can he not refresh your heart like he did those shepherds to give you the joy from within to worship him? He can do it. You ought to ask him for it this Christmas. Number four, 
God moved angels to sing and shepherds to praise. Luke 2, 8 through 20, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with great fear. So there's only one angel. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. So we don't know if they saw these other angels. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you, I bring you uh, good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now just picture this. There's one angel talking to these shepherds. And suddenly... There was with the angel, suddenly, he, they didn't, it appears they didn't see these other angels. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom, uh, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, the, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told, as it had been told them. Church, if if we know Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you understand his death, burial, and resurrection, it is only because he allowed you to. He revealed himself to you. One angel with the glory of the Lord starts talking. And I, here's what I really believe in my sanctified imagination, Tommy. I believe that he, they, this one angel's talking and he starts talking about the good news of Jesus. And these other angels just explode in praise. They just cannot contain the good news. When, when my, uh, our two sons, Isaiah and Salem, when they find out their older brother and sister are coming in town, I don't know what happens. It's like they drank a six pack of Red Bull. They get so spastic running around the house, tackling each other. I mean, they just, boom, they flip a switch. I believe a, a, a switch flipped in, in that day in front of those shepherds. I believe those angels were like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Good news. Good news. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And I just think they just erupted in praise. Glory to God. They couldn't contain it. And that's how we ought to be as a church. If God can move a bunch of listening angels to burst out in praise, and if he can move lowly shepherds to know him and praise him, what will he do for you? He'll move heaven and earth. He'll move stars of heaven so that you'll know him. Angels in heaven too. Well, fifth, God moved an eternal king to a cradle. None of these movements are as important as this. Luke 2 verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The incarnation of God, God with us, his very name means that he desires to be with us. John 18, 37 says, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, for this purpose, as Jesus was on his way to the cross in John 18, I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you listening to the voice of God this Christmas? Proverbs 30 verse 4 says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? 
who has wrapped all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Jeremiah 23 verse 5, behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's that baby, Jesus. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. How's that? for a merry Christmas. We all sing this with me? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem How still we see Please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.